0: I'm Nicole Antoinette, and this is Real Talk Radio, a podcast filled with honest conversations about everything. For today's episode, I'm joined by Cheche Luna, whose work and, in particular, their Instagram dance videos, I am legitimately obsessed with. Just wait until you check them out. You can thank me for the recommendation later. Cheche is a holistic, trauma-informed sex and pleasure educator that guides LGBTQIA+ folks back home to their bodies and personal liberation. They are a queer, non-binary, Latinx professional dancer who finds great joy in embodying sensuality and creating spaces for others to do the same. This conversation dives into pleasure, dancing, masturbation, how to feel present, and more. Quick content warning that Cheche mentions sexual trauma at one point, although it's brief, it's not detailed, and they give another content warning right beforehand within the conversation itself. This whole episode made me want to prioritize pleasure way more in my own everyday life. I've been thinking about it ever since we first had the conversation, and I hope that the same winds up being true for you. But before we dive into that, I would love to take a second to invite you to join our Patreon community to help me keep making new episodes in the next few months. This is a 100% listener-funded show. You've probably heard me talk about that. I talk about that all the time. And what that means is that we don't have ads or sponsors. So all of our guests get paid and the money to do that to pay everyone involved, right? So our guests, our sound engineer, and me, all of that funding comes entirely from our sliding-scale Patreon community, where folks contribute at whatever level they can from within their means, and that keeps this show going. Our Patreon isn't just a funding source for this podcast, though. It is so much more than that. We have a Discord community so folks can chat with each other. We have small group virtual hangouts. I host a live reflection and journaling circle on the last Sunday of every month. That's so much fun. And then there's a bunch of exclusive content to things, um, both written and audio, that I don't release anywhere other than in the Patreon community. So if you love this show, if you find that you enjoy listening, you want to take the conversations a little bit deeper, meet some like-minded people, I bet that you would really enjoy our community. And as I said, we do operate on a sliding scale, with all tiers getting access to absolutely everything. And you can find us at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. So, if you love this work, if it brings value, joy, laughter, opportunities to think into your life, and you have the ability to support what we're doing, even a small amount each month helps so much. So, thank you for that. Thank you, thank you for just making these honest conversations possible. And now, let's dive into today's episode. All right here we go. JJ, welcome to the show. Thank you.
1: So happy to be here.
0: Your dance videos on Instagram, like, are it's like become my favorite thing on that app. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you.
1: That's so sweet of you to say.
0: It, it like changes my whole mood sometimes. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, my, the first thing that I wanted to ask you is do you post public playlists anywhere
1: ever? I do. I have one public playlist that is called "Dance as Medicine" on Spotify.
0: Okay, well, I will be accessing that immediately after this call. Yep. Okay, that was <laughs> that was my very selfish question. So perfect. <laughs> Great. This this episode is already a success. Excellent. <laughs> um, this might be. I don't know, maybe a strange place to start, but I was wondering if you could share potentially some words of encouragement for folks who might feel embarrassed or silly dancing more because that's definitely mm-hmm. a thing that I struggled with that I'm not a good dancer or it has to look a certain way and I have had to work to unpack that even when it's just me alone, like in my bedroom. So I don't know, I am mm-hmm. I thought that would be a place to start potentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think it's a great place to start. I think I want to begin by humanizing myself and just sharing that I'm constantly working on how to feel at home in my body. And I think that Instagram can paint this picture of like, I'm always confident, I always feel liberated, I always know how to move. And that's just not my whole truth. Um, And so this question like hits home for me, um, and it's something I'm always asking myself. And then, things that I have been landing in as of late are thinking about how our bodies have such somatic intelligence, right? And they they know how to tell stories. They know how to unwind if we can give them a safe container to do so. I like to think about how context is really really important when it comes to movement like same as within sex like what is the context that allows us to drop into our bodies and land um, whether that's like dim lighting or like being able to close a door being able to close our eyes uh, certain music you know um adorning ourselves in something how do we kind of Finish the stress response cycle that our bodies are most likely in, and be able to take a pause to see what would help me come back to myself and my physical body. As far as like beginning to explore movement, um, I tend to really like using a using certain prompts. So one that I use a lot is I like picking different body parts. And exploring what would happen if I, I let that body part lead. So if I pick my hands, how can I allow my hands to initiate? How can they be in the driver's seat for a moment? And how does the rest of my body ripple and follow that? And I'll kind of shift from like fingers to toes to neck to tailbone, right? To even using things that kind of shift and bring a playfulness in, like using my eyes, using my tongue, using my belly button. Um, that's one of my favorites. Mm,
0: I love that. I love the idea of leading with the belly button. Right? Uh, that's, that No, that's really fun. Um, tell me a little bit about your sensual dance workshops. More specifically, is that something that you ever teach virtually or is it in person only? Again, selfish question.
1: I am actually working on a virtual version of a workshop. I've been really resistant to doing it because after doing years of in-person workshops, the magic that happens, the synergy, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can capture this virtually. I feel nervous about it. I feel like it's not going to give it what it deserves. Um, And here we are 2021 where I haven't been able or I haven't chosen to hold a space surrounded and centered and sensual dance in over a year now. And I'm like, okay, okay, che, it's time. <laughs> like, just do your best. Just try this virtually. So I am going to be releasing that most likely within, uh, let's see, by the end of February.
0: Okay, so by the time this goes out, it will maybe yeah. have just gone up. Oh, well, that's mm-hmm. good news for me. Yeah, that question of how to translate an in-person offering to a virtual version is something that I and along with a lot of other people, you know, have thought about in the mm-hmm. last year. So so I'm excited. Yes. That's um, will you talk a little bit about what your entrance point was to dance? When did that become something that was really important in your life?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I grew up as a competitive gymnast. It was a really intense world to to grow up in. There was a lot of beauty in it, and there was also a lot of challenge and trauma that happened in it too. Um, So from the age of three, I've been... I was in gymnastics all the way until age 18. It was like my life. It was like what I did every day. I ended up moving through a lot of injuries by the end of that time. I had fractured my back. I had had multiple knee surgeries and I was I had the goal of uh, doing college gymnastics and my body was like this I I can't keep going. This is too much. And so that's that's where I made the the intentional transition into dance where I was like, I really want something that allows me to use my body as communication to be able to continue all the things that felt really good in the world of gymnastics and be able to translate them. And so when I went to college at UCSC is when I started dancing uh, and get exploring like all different genres and I will say that as I took classes and learned technique and performed and toured with a contemporary company, I came out of that time almost feeling like I had, I had a lot of work to do to reconnect with how does my body authentically want to move? Because I had, you know, from gymnastics to like performing as a dancer, I had spent so much time shaping my body to be what my teachers wanted it to look like or to be someone else's choreography. And I had spent very little time exploring how do I actually want to move and what feels good to me and what are my body boundaries. And so the last few years, I've really been un- Learning, doing my best to unlearn some of that technique, some of that like perfectionism, and be able to really find more of this intuitive flow. And I feel like that has actually been something that has held such rich healing for me. So I felt like, yeah, I wanted to give a little bit of kind of where I'm falling now, which is very different than, you know, dancing for someone else or for a director or for a choreographer.
0: Yeah, what's one thing that you can name that's helped you with that unlearning and maybe relearning?
1: It's been kind of circling back to your question around like, yeah, when people feel silly and and are not sure how to move, it's been like finding ways that I can be curious with my body, finding ways that I can create containers. I can ask questions like how does how does my heart want to move today? Um like how would I move if I were embodying my sexuality? How how would I move if I were already healed? You know, kind of like coming into these more abstract uh, ways of playing with movement I'll also share that using elements has been really helpful for me so like being able to embody water versus fire versus earth versus air and yeah those are some of the first things that come to me Mm.
0: those questions that you posed you know, like, how would my body move if it were already healed? These are really beautiful questions. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they elicit an emotional response for me, which then it's like, oh, what happens when I move from more of this, like, centered heart space versus, like, I want to look a certain way?
0: Yeah, or, you know leading like you said like leading from yourself as opposed to Mm -hmm. mimicking or following what someone else is saying you're supposed to be doing with your body and I think that that's perhaps differently resonant for someone who's not a professional dancer but still really resonant like that I I feel in what you're saying that that applies to me even though my circumstance is different Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I'm glad you named that you know I'm like I i feel that it's important to recognize my privilege, right? And being able to like take dance classes, being able to grow up as a gymnast, being able to have opportunities to learn technique. And um, and I'm coming from that specific place of privilege, right? To where like my, it, it, it has informed and shaped my journey of like, you know, oh, wait, how can I be a professional dancer and still feel disconnected to my body? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah. But I mean, that question of feeling disconnected from your body is so much larger than just, like it's not just dancers, right, that experience that. So I feel like what Mm -hmm. you're saying, there's a lot of universality in like the heart of what you're saying. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, so true. That's like what I hear the most uh, with, clients I work with, with my community, is I want to feel connected to my body.
0: Yeah. you Well, you mentioned a little bit ago that part of this unlearning for you has been figuring out what your body boundaries are. Will you say a little bit more about that or maybe give an example?
1: Yeah. I'd love to give a little trigger warning of just mentioning sexual trauma for folks listening and just be able to weave in that i i grew up experiencing sexual trauma as a child and like then you know also being in these worlds of uh, my my body being a vessel of someone else's vision is a lot mm-hmm. what it felt like i had such a lack of body boundaries you know like growing up with coaches constantly like manipulating my body literally with their hands right like shifting moving me like putting me in certain positions um i also grew up in the era within the gymnastics world that was full of abuse and harm that now is starting to shift right and so when i when I'm talking about body boundaries, I'm really thinking about being able to track myself, being able to track my nervous system, being able to really notice what I have capacity for and what I don't, what feels safe and what doesn't, where I can stretch and where I break, what are these edges of like when I start to disassociate versus when I start to get hyper aroused and kind of enter into that like fight, flight, flee response. And how can I work to be caring for my body in a way that I don't have to push. I don't have to go beyond what feels safe for me. And I, you know, I spent most of my life living very beyond what I think was actually Okay, uh, for my own pacing in my own body. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Will you also share when along maybe the the timeline that you were just talking about with gymnastics and you know dance and then maybe a new iteration of dance? Where did the I don't know if interest is the right word, but in pleasure in sex education, what was the like intersection point there for you?
1: Hmm. That came in when I left for college. Well, I'll backtrack a little bit by sharing that I grew up with a Catholic father and um, was very afraid of my queerness growing up. I knew I was queer. I didn't have representation of what that meant. I just was like, I feel different. I have a lot of crushes on pop stars and Mike, like authority figures and a lot of femme people in my life. And so that was something that I was like, I'm going to put this on a bookshelf over here. I don't feel safe to address this. When I left for college, I watched a performance by a company called Flex, not knowing at the time that the members of that company were queer, were self-liberated, were doing so much work within themselves to center their own desire, their own pleasure. When I watched the performance, I just remember thinking, I want that. I don't know what that is. I just, I want to feel that. I felt very magnetized, like watching their movement and watching also how the choreographer had all these different relational dynamics happening that were very fluid, very queer very uh, like polynormative, like not following a cis heteronormative script. And so my I had stars in my eyes, you know, I was just like, wow. And um, fast forward six months later, I was a member of that company. So I entered that company and there was a period of about five years Where I danced with them and I performed and we traveled and they became chosen family and they taught me so much about who I was and who I was outside of who I was taught to be. I feel like that was where my sexuality really started to intersect with my this feeling of aliveness, this feeling of, oh wow, I I want to reclaim this. Um, When I was dancing with that company is when I fell in love with a woman for the first time. And then it's also when I started dating queer folks of all different genders. And it was just a really explorative time. And so coming out of that, there was so, you know, I was going through a second puberty, right? It was like, who am I? What's happening? I have so many questions. Um, I have a lot of like that excitement, but also fear of feeling like, oh, I don't know the identity that I've carried for so long about myself. That was really like a driving force for me to enter into the world of sex education, of pleasure education, and start to initially use that work as like self-inquiry. And then start to, when I started to get that, like, wow, this is information we all deserve. Like, yeah. wow, this has been so missing. I started to have such drive and this overflow to share it.
0: There's something so powerful in sharing or making or dedicating yourself in service to creating the thing that younger you would have really wanted, which isn't exactly what you said, but I feel that in what you're sharing.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent,
0: yeah, so I have to tell you, knowing that we were going to be having this conversation, a conversation that you know I assumed would be centered around pleasure at least somewhat, totally changed how I spent my day today. It was like having that in my mind. I took this a quiet solo walk in the snow and a really long hot dance party shower with loud awesome music yes. used my favorite almond and vanilla body oil afterwards like took the time to make a much more elaborate lunch than i otherwise would have done on a work day mm. so what i'm saying is thank you for inspiring me today
1: <laughs> yeah fuck yes that sounds so delicious <laughs> yeah,
0: it was it was really lovely um what's your what has your own pleasure looked like today ooh I
1: took a really beautiful, warm shower. I, before my shower, I did some dry brushing, which I've really been enjoying lately. Me too. Mm, yeah. I meditated. I ate a yummy breakfast. I did some movement. And here
0: I am. And here you are. Do you have a particular meditation practice or app? Or what does meditation usually look like for you?
1: I have lately been using the Calm app and also the Channy app. Those have been my two go-tos lately. <laughs> the Ch- the
0: Channy app, basically, when someone's like, "What do you remember about 2021?" I'm going to be like, "The Channy app." That's what right? I remember. It's like the best money that I'm spending this year.
1: <laughs> right, life changing. So grateful.
0: It's so good. Yeah, I I did one of those too. I did the de-stress one from the little meditation section in the app today. Mm. So you and I are having a very similar day. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm feeling that I, I wanted to really ask quickly or even just name that I think it's so beautiful like the way that you shared how you've been orienting to pleasure today and how there can be that it's like it's a contagious thing um sometimes it's like oh when we can see other people choosing their pleasure there's like this permission right this agency and and I also feel that there is this practice of of orienting right of like there's always going to be so many choices and so much to do but what are those small ways we're orienting to pleasure
0: Oh, yeah. And the reminder that of something that I know to be true, that what I surround myself with, particularly like content input or, you know, I mentioned Instagram before, really matters. And, you know, in kind of getting in the headspace for this, too, like I said, I was rewatching some of your dance videos and uh, particularly I, I know it's a short one, but the one from. Inauguration Day. And then that song was so good. So then I'm like on Spotify (laughs) listening to that song, having my own little dance party and like all because of, you know, a very short clip on Instagram. And it's things like that of, oh, what I surround myself with and what, like you said, like what you choose to orient toward, you know, and it's the reminder too that I also got all of the work done today that needed to get done. And sometimes I tell myself this like false story that, pleasure has to be really put off for later or pleasure has to take a really long time or it has to be a whole big thing. And so there was something in the reminder of like, oh, you know, I could take a two minute longer shower and it feels just that much more spacious. I definitely have two minutes in my day. Yes. Yeah. That, all of that. So let's dig deeper into that a little bit and maybe talk more specifically about building a pleasure practice. Um, I know you shared some of the things that were part of your, I guess, pleasure practice today but is there anything else around that that you want to talk about especially maybe geared toward folks who are like pleasure practice what question mark question mark <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's such a um it's such a big conversation i the first thing that comes to mind is pleasure activism by adrian marie brown
0: mm-hmm.
1: and also this mantra that I learned from a teacher one of my OG teachers Rebecca Campbell that is pleasure not pressure. And seeing that we can have these subtle ways of allowing in pleasure of engaging our senses of slowing down that that those 1% shifts really change our whole trajectory often and so I love that you already named this is like I think sometimes we can have this image that like my pleasure needs to be so like grand and uh, extravagant and luxurious and like yes that's beautiful but also in the day-to-day and in the busyness of life and all the things we're juggling sometimes it's just a breath right sometimes it's just staying in the shower two minutes longer sometimes it's sitting down with my tea with some music on and those micro moments being able to allow our bodies to have these like moments of of calm of joy and I do think also about the negativity bias that is a part of our wiring right our evolution of like scanning for vigilance scanning for danger especially with the climate we're in it does it is effortful and it does take those intentional conscious choices to choose pleasure to and even I want to say that if pleasure feels far away, if pleasure feels inaccessible, I like to be able to use it synonymously with presence. Mm. And just asking how can I bring presence to my current experience? How can I notice the sounds, the smells, the flavors, touch? If being in your body feels overwhelming, how can I notice the support systems around me, the colors, the textures, the sounds, right? And that there's always an opportunity for pleasure or for presence. How does that land for you? Is that making sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I I appreciate the invitation to, if Pleasure feels inaccessible. Here's another road into that. Because one of the things that I was curious about and was going to ask you, and I guess maybe this is a good time for that, was about any limiting beliefs that you've had to personally let go of in order to live a more intentionally pleasurable life. And what you just described, like the relationship even to the word pleasure, that can be something that's really loaded.
1: It really, really can. Yeah, I had a lot of connection to it being frivolous, I had a lot of guilt around pleasure. I had a lot of connection to selfishness, but that selfishness being a bad thing, it was very binary, it makes me bad. And so starting to dismantle that binary, starting to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and say that in order for me to like lean towards pleasure at the beginning of this work was not even this work, but just this like um, expansion, this healing. Uh, It was helpful to have a bit of a meta view about it. It was helpful to realize that the patriarchy does not want me to choose pleasure like that. I'm intentionally being disconnected from this part of my life force in order to purchase products, in order to be complacent, in order to be controlled. There was something about my pleasure being a form of activism and being a form of resistance to the systems of oppression that I was in that actually allowed me to start practicing it. I actually couldn't quite source it from within at the beginning. Uh, and over time and with practice, I've been able to do that more and more. But often I still come back to the truths of like, how can I do the opposite of what capitalism and the patriarchy <laughs> want me to do in this moment?
0: <laughs> Such a good question. Oh, my God. Okay. So can you actually take that a little bit deeper? Can you give some examples of if you are asking that question on any given random day of your life, what is something that you might do differently because of that? So that's an, a freaking awesome question.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, take yesterday, I'm working on emails, my eyes twitching. (laughs) I'm like straining to keep my eyes open. I'm overworked. I'm tired. I pause to be like, I could keep going. I could keep doing emails. I could keep feeling this urgency of needing to work or I can take a 20 minute nap or I can lay myself down and close my eyes, and even just breathe for a couple minutes if there isn't a 20 minute window available. That's the first example that came to me. Um, oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those opportunities feel, feel like pretty consistent and like there's always the invitation. To ask that question, (laughs) Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. yeah, it is really wild when you catch yourself. Like you mentioned, the eye twitch. For me, it's when I realize that I'm not that I'm withholding the break to go to the bathroom and pee from myself. Where it's like I have to get such and such amount of emails answered before I. I mean, and I work from home, like before I go literally to the next room and pee, which is going to take me less than two minutes. Like I just, oh
1: my god, that's such a good point. Is 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 having those basic needs being a uh, tracking a way to track? <laughs> am I am I acknowledging that I am I acknowledging my basic needs? Have I drink water? Have I uh, nourished my body? Have I gone pee? I I do the same exact thing. I'll notice like, wow, I've been holding this for hours. I have to pee so bad. Like it's time to check in. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, and that really goes into what you were saying before about the associations with pleasure as like something that was frivolous or, you know, and, and all that you spoke to. For me, some of the unlearning that I'm, I mean, still doing is around the associations that I have with pleasure as this, and this is probably a product of capitalism, but really lofty, not necessarily expensive, but maybe that's like this fancy thing that you either have to have a lot of time or you have to have a lot of money, or I, I don't know, the the disconnect that pleasure has to be this really big deal as opposed to some of these more really human and humane examples that you're giving. Like it feels yeah. really pleasurable not to like stand there having a pee for like an extra half hour. It's very pleasurable to go pee when you have to pee. <laughs> you know?
1: Yes. Yes. And I really like that it's bringing up the question for me of what is pleasure, right? And that, that, that every person gets to define that for themselves. And also how have we actually, have most of us actually paused to ask ourselves that? Like, what is pleasure to me?
0: Literally never one time. I've never one time asked that.
1: (laughs) I'm even sitting here being like, this is like my work, right? This is like what I do. And I don't know the answer to that question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I I wonder too, if that answer is evolving, because even just the different phases of your life that you've shared so far a little bit about the answer to what is pleasure is would probably be different if you went back to seventeen-year-old you, twenty-two-year-old you, right? Like that type mm-hmm. of thing as well. Um, that so is an true. interesting. That is an interesting question. Do you want to give a, a stab at an answer for current you? I would love to.
1: I'm gonna. I guess because this just feels like a way that I can answer in this moment for myself is. I'm thinking about pleasure as self well okay I'll say I'm thinking about one of the aspects of pleasure for me is self-intimacy and so then I'm like okay what's (laughs) self-intimacy what does that mean um and then I start breaking it down into well it's body awareness it's the practice of accepting myself and the practice of loving myself. It's self-forgiveness. And, you know, if I'm kind of going into those a little deeper, I'm starting to look at, yeah, like, what's my emotional management, emotional vocabulary? What is my ability to even... Notice and be aware of my needs, of my wants, of my desires. And that is, I feel like all of that feels like a portal to pleasure, right? It's like there's a lot of foundational stuff, and like that creates the fertile soil to be able to open up places of pleasure, to be able to allow in pleasure. What are your
0: thoughts on that? Mm, I'm just enjoying hearing you talk this out yeah i mm. i feel i I wonder what my answer would be to that same question of, yeah I'm curious um, I feel like the most honest thing that I could say is that pleasure is the experience of not wanting to be anywhere other than where I am. Mm. I struggle a lot with the like Forward projection and living in the future a lot, which has only been exacerbated during COVID. And that's a real practice for me of like coming back, coming back, coming back. And the like, I think if I think about really pleasurable things that I've done in the last couple of weeks, you know, my mind goes to sitting or like laying in bed under a cozy blanket reading a novel for four and a half hours and nobody bothered me and nobody talked to me and all my needs were met and I, you know, no one was expecting anything from me and I didn't want to be anywhere other than right there or even earlier today having that little dance party. That was exactly what I wanted to be doing. So I think for me, there's, it's not a surprise that you mentioned pleasure and presence together, right, that that those are really, um, I think, linked up more than I realized. And had you not offered the you know those two words I don't know that I would have made that connection just now
1: mm, that's so beautiful thank you for sharing that I really resonate with that a lot
0: yeah it me so you know all of this we're talking about pleasure presence sort of the meeting your basic human needs how do you feel like you understand the relationship between pleasure and self-care like are they similar are they separate are they related um, I don't know there's something in that that I'm interested in yeah.
1: I feel like there's a lot of overlap and I also I also get curious of how those things can be different. Pleasure it feels like I'm gonna like I'm kind of expanding too on on what you've shared is yeah, this this yes, it's like this uh if we're getting in tune with what does a yes feel like in my body and what are the specific sensations that happen in that yes like does my chest open do my muscles soften does my do my cheeks lift um do I feel heat in certain places do I feel electricity I think of pleasure as a very embodied it's like this full body experience and of course this is just my personal experience almost like a wholeness a feeling of integration a feeling of like my spiritual emotional physical mental like all these multi-dimensional parts of of being are synchronizing and landing in a moment, and self care to me feels like that it that they can they can coexist, and also I don't know this gets me into the conversation of like wants versus needs,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how nuanced that is, um, and how that is constantly evolving moment to moment, and how it is like a ongoing dialogue with ourselves of like how do I identify my my wants from my needs um not that it's always like necessary to do that but when I think of self-care I'm thinking like basic needs I'm thinking nourishment I'm thinking kind of building the tools building the like centering tools for yourself practicing the tools kind of doing that like The work that is not the path of least resistance, right? Right. And then, like, then there's these moments of pleasure that get to start like blooming from that.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you use the word blooming. So I'm someone who one of the reasons that I don't that record on video audio only is because I really I doodle a lot while on like it just helps me focus for some reason like on podcast and so it's yeah. when you're on video right you want to make eye contact that kind of thing and as you were just talking the little doodle that I just drew was self-care as the soil and pleasure as the tree coming out of the soil mm, so when I you said blooming that. I was like oh my gosh <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's here it's right here on the paper oh um, wow yes
1: that's, that's so funny. that's so beautiful
0: um, I really appreciate how many different examples and iterations of pleasure that you're talking about here. Because something else that was a big unlearning for me was this strict association of pleasure and sensuality only with sex or sexuality. And of course, you know, pleasure is part of sex as well, right? Like they, there is a mm-hmm. connection there, but I used to see it in that really small box only the word pleasure had very sexual connotations and in being able to zoom out and think, I don't know, broader and more holistically. And obviously you've spoken to that a lot. I think Mm -hmm. even though I have, you know, unlearned that to some degree, it's always useful to rehear it.
1: Mm, Absolutely. It's, it's this like lifelong, like living entity right of, of this relationship we get to cultivate with ourselves our bodies I, and I love knowing that I can also resonate with like oh I I cannot uh be in these conversations enough <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. but it's they're just always novel in a way
0: I mean it, it, and I'm not I was just gonna say I'm gonna contradict what I just said it's a, certainly not a contradiction but I'm glad that it has been broader than that, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't also pivot into something in a more sexual, like, wheelhouse conversation. So I was hoping that we could talk about masturbation a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. So specifically, or I guess as a starting point, um, you posted something on your Instagram a while back that was a quick list of five masturbation myths and i would love if you're down for it that i will read them out one at a time and you can give whatever amount of context you want on why that's a myth.
1: Mm. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah, okay. Um because this under like this umbrella topic of finding fulfillment in solo intimacy and obviously like you said before solo intimacy can be a lot of different things but i wanted to talk about this as part of it. So, i'm glad yeah. that you're down for that. Thanks. Yes. All right, so myth number one on your list was it's po- that about masturbation. It's pointless when I can just have another person do the job for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I really operated in this one for for a long time. And it it really dismisses that those are different. You know that the relationship sexual relationship we have with ourselves and the sexual relationships we have with others, are different things. I think that there can be a lot of trying to compare, like also trying to, you know, I, I like why doesn't this feel the same? Why doesn't it feel as good? Um, they're really different things, and I think that they have different benefits, and I think that they both get to feed each other, coexist. And so yeah, I, well, I'm curious like if you have any thoughts around this one, particularly that are coming up for you.
0: Yeah. My experience seems like similar to yours and what you said that, you know, that was an association that you made for a long time. Like, oh, this is pointless. This is like what a partner is for, right? Um, mm-hmm. And realizing that that's not true and that. I don't know. I, I think a lot of conversation and normalization happens around what it takes to make any sort of relationship with another person work, right? You don't just expect to magically have a really solid friendship or to have this really fulfilling sexual connection. I think we're all, at least for the most part, in agreement that effort and time and awareness and communication and showing up goes into building relationships with other people. And yet for mm-hmm. some reason, I didn't think that applied to the relationship that I have with myself, right? Like, oh, I don't have to show up for myself. I don't have to take myself on dates. I don't have to have honest conversations with myself. And I think that that applies also to you know, nurturing a sexual relationship with myself, that there's something in there of, oh, I can just have another person do this for me that really, I don't know, erases the relationship that I could have with myself. Does that make sense?
1: It makes so much sense. Yes. Thank you yeah. for sharing
0: that. Yeah. So uh, that's – yeah, that's something that I continue to to think about. Um, well, and so number two on this list is sort of related to that, that the myth that masturbation takes away from partnered sexual intimacy.
1: So – thinking about like what you're saying, we're not taught how to build and have intimate relationship with our bodies, with our sexualities. And there's a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of like, Almost um like insecurity, I think that can come from when we haven't normalized masturbation, what are the things that we can the limiting beliefs we can carry around how this could you know take away from partnered intimacy? And then I'm thinking about how like two beings that have body autonomy or that are practicing it. Uh, or two or more, right people that are coming together to share intimacy when there is this relationship that's being fostered separately of here's what I like, here's what I don't like, here's what I'm learning, here's how I'm evolving, here's how I'm changing. these are the sensations that I am like learning that feel really good. these are the ones that don't like how all of that gets to be brought into those relationships and gets to, enrich them and gets to amplify the pleasure that happens when bodies and humans come together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I, what came up for me when you were sharing that, like for me personally as a straight cis woman, there was so much... and not even story but really lived experience of my sexuality is only valid when it's activated by male partners and that felt really disempowering and so this idea like you said of having that body autonomy practicing that for yourself and being able to activate that within myself regardless of what my partner's situation is that that felt really impactful for me yeah yes so the third thing on this list—it's funny how everything you're saying is just like leading one into the other—is um, that it should be kept secret. The myth that it should be kept secret. Talk about that. Hmm. Oh yeah. I think
1: this like can bring up a lot of origin stories, right? Is like, what did I learn when I was? What did I learn or not learn when I was little about masturbation? Was it mentioned in in the home? Was it talked about? Did it have language? Um, what did I grow up learning about my genitals, about touching them, about like being, you know, were those, was there any language given around that? Were they just, were they private parts? Like, um, was there sex education? Was there not, was there very little? Um, For me, like I started masturbating very young not you know of course not having language for what that was and I wasn't given I wasn't given like anatomical language for my genitalia I remember like pp or like private parts and then I remember a memory of like my mom like catching me masturbating and like I don't remember what age that was at but also that language, like catching me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there was like, I do feel grateful that I, there was a moment where my mom was like, you can do this in your room. Just like, these are the places that um, you don't do this. These are the places you do do this. What's interesting, I think that's such a great conversation
0: and yeah I, I definitely never had a conversation like that, so <laughs> yes. yes.
1: and yeah. what's yeah and and there's a I'm wondering why that conversation like sparked so much shame for me still. Hmm. Maybe I'm wondering if it was maybe like, I don't know the initial reaction or like body language or like a oh no kind of thing, right? um even how I explained it of like I feel I felt caught. Um, and so I think it's interesting when you can get into the nuance and subtleties of like, of, you know, teaching sex education to little ones, like how there's so much more than what you're saying. Like, what is your body saying? What is your face saying? Like, um, you know, I would imagine that my, my parents, my mom, um, specifically like still was holding shame around masturbation herself. Right. So then to like witness her child experiencing that was probably uncomfortable. Um, versus like, I'm imagining that when there is this normalization, it's like a, Oh yeah, no big deal. Like, you know, um, that was, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I think no, it's,
0: it's great. It's not a tangent. It's all related. It's perfect. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, yeah, I realize that, you know, I don't, I don't remember having any other conversations after that. Um, pretty much when that conversation happened, it was like, oh, I need to keep this locked in my room. I need to never talk about it. I need to make sure it's hidden. And so learning the ways that that time in my life really made imprints to later on of, yeah, not not talking about masturbation like and it's been this slow untangling of secrecy uh which I think is also interesting that that can ripple right into into relationships in my experience like into sexuality in general um what do I feel like I need to keep under wraps versus what can I just openly say
0: and even the nuance within that of what's the difference between something being private versus something feeling like it needs to be secret, those yes. those can be different, right? Or what's the difference between it being intimate versus, like, there's just, I don't know, there's there's nuance here, because mm-hmm. not not feeling the shame around needing to keep a secret, the, the kind of, in a binary way, the sort of opposite of that is you have to talk about it all the time to everyone and do it in front of everyone, right? Which, like, that's not, <laughs> that's also not yeah. it. And so finding, um, you know, the, the level of honesty and privacy and, you know, without the secrecy and the shame. So true. Yeah. So the fourth one on this list, the myth of, I should want to do it all the time. That was the one when I read this list, I was like, Oh, huh. Interesting. I don't know that I would have like named that as if you would have asked me, what do I think the myths are about masturbation? That wouldn't have been one that came up for me. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about that.
1: Mm, yeah. I, I feel that there can be some unspoken shoulds and like standards around like, am I masturbating enough? Am I doing this right? Like, should I be wanting to do this more? Why don't I feel a desire to do this? So my intention of including that one was that there is just no standard to follow, you know, when it comes to frequency of masturbation when it comes to masturbation at all like it's I and getting to include people that identify as asexual that are like I don't I don't have a sexual relationship with with myself and I don't want one and that that's perfectly normal and healthy too
0: yeah and the fact that that wouldn't ping wouldn't have initially pinged for me is absolutely a blind spot about that specifically so yeah as, as like it's not even just the you know I should want to do, like you said, this more, this being masturbation, but it it making, zooming that out to sex as a whole or sexual relationships with others as a whole. Mm, Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the last one on this list, it's bad or wrong to depend on toys to orgasm. Love that we are busting this myth. Go for it. (laughs)
1: Yes. It's an important one. Yeah. Well, there's so many pieces here. I mean, I'm such an advocate for toys. I'm such an advocate for resources that enhance our pleasure. And I think it's interesting to examine the ways that we think we should orgasm, if those exist for you, like the ways that you know, it should happen in a certain amount of time. It should happen at this frequency. This is, it, it measures great sex. Um, it should happen with like penis and vagina penetration. Um, with masturbation, like it should happen with my own hands. Um, and And so really like kind of pulling back to notice that with all of those, limiting beliefs there's this thread of of like my pleasure needs to fit in a certain or my and my orgasm like it needs to fit in a certain box it needs to happen in a certain way I need to not like take my time in this process like part of it maybe like my body is of service like you mentioned earlier like feeling that is our pleasure actually for us or is it for someone else? And so getting to start to reclaim like, oh, my orgasm gets to be mine. And that's actually my responsibility. That's something I get to have. It's something I get to define. Um, It's something that I get to explore in any ways I want to or don't want to. Those are some of the first things that come up. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes. You mentioned that you are very pro whatever resources that, you know, enhance our pleasure. Would you be open to sharing some examples of resources that enhance your pleasure that folks might be curious about or interested in?
1: Yes, absolutely. I, so to, to start, I would love to share that I think it can be important to have an understanding of responsive desire versus spontaneous desire. And, you know, Emily Nagoski talks about this in her book, Come As You Are. There's like a lot that we're oversaturated with around spontaneous desire. It's like what we see in movies and books and uh, it's passionate. It's intense, right? It's novel. Um, Responsive desire is not talked about very much and it's interesting because it's actually very 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 common especially with people with vulvas and it's going to be this like this process of us your it's like our furnace is slowly heating up right it takes time to allow arousal to happen it's going to take something like sexually relevant in a context that feels safe and yummy in order for Desire to arrive and to start um, unfolding. So I bring that up because I'm someone that operates mostly within responsive desire.
0: And me too. Yeah, defin- yeah definitely. Definitely like, me too. And also that I used to have a lot of shame around that. What's wrong with yes. me that I don't, you know, XYZ? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, exactly. So then, yeah, in that, like, oh, this is actually normal, this is actually beautiful. I started to be like, ooh, what's my toolkit? Like, How can I build this big toolkit of what can bring me into my pleasure? So thinking about like ethical feminist porn has been huge for me. Um, A couple of resources that come to mind, or even a few. There's a lustery.com, which is like real couples having sex, like Mm -hmm, filming themselves, mm -hmm, which I mm -hmm. love. (laughs) Uh, Dipsy, Crash Pad Series, Mm, pink Label TV, Four Chambers, also reading erotica. Like, I love thinking about, you know, I, Shebop has a link. Shebop is a sex toy shop in Portland, and they have an online link that separates their erotica into categories, which I think is helpful. And kind of being able to be like, what kind of stories do I want to be reading? And starting to like play with reading them out loud, reading them with a loved one, like getting the imagination flowing, getting that erotic imagery, like some new inspiration. Also bringing in elements, like either if that's energetically, if that's literally like how can elements be inspiration for sensation play? Like what would watery touch feel like versus like fiery touch? Yeah.
0: Things it's like, like what you mentioned with dance and the elements exactly. too. I definitely see the connection there. Yeah. That's lovely. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, resource palooza. I feel like that's going to be like a good Google fest for everyone listening afterwards. <laughs> I think that is a wonderful place for us to start to wrap up. If you could leave folks with one call to action based on our conversation, what would that be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a teeny action to take? Mm.
1: I'd I'd love to just give the the inquiry of, what is one way you can orient to your pleasure and or to your to your presence today?
0: Yeah, that, that's a great question. What's the best place for people to find you, say hi? Do you have a particular favorite way to connect with new folks? I would
1: love to connect with new folks via my Instagram, which is at C-H-E dot C-H-E dot L-U-N-A. Also my email, hello at ChecheLuna.com and or my website, ChecheLuna.com.
0: Yes, I will put links to those things in the show notes. Please know that you are very, very invited back for round two. I would love to talk about like being really slutty, sexual integrity, kink. Like there's just so many other things yes. when I was like reading through your work that I'm like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. So you are oh, you are I'm, always welcome back. But thank you so much for everything that you shared.
1: Thank you. I'm shimmying a fin- uh, finale sh- shimmy for you.
0: Yes, finale <laughs> shimmy. Yes, 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 yes. And that's our show for today. Our music is by Adam Day, who also handles our sound editing. Thanks, Adam. You're the best. And huge thanks as well to every single member of our Patreon community for making this honest conversation, this entire podcast, and so much of my other work, like my twice-weekly personal essay newsletter called Good Question, possible. Your monthly funding allows me to keep creating resources and gatherings for folks who crave honest conversations, both with themselves and others. And I fully believe that these conversations can change our lives, our relationships, and our world. To join us, just come on over to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Our community operates on a shame-free sliding scale, so you can feel good about supporting this work from within your own means. So I'll see you over in the Patreon community, yeah? And until next time, I want you to know three things. First, that you are enough. Second, that you are not alone. And third, that I'm totally rooting for you.